You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. If you're a fan of Survivor, you'll remember Mark Wales from his appearance on the reality show in 2017. He and his now wife, Sam, were a power couple on the popular reality series. Recently, you may have seen him speaking at an event. He's often engaged to talk about resilience and endurance, things he learnt well during his time fighting with a special air service regiment, or the SAS. Now he's written a book, Survivor, Life in the SAS. Hi, Mark. Welcome to Feed, Play, Love. Thanks for having me. Now, you always wanted to be a part of the SAS, even as a boy. Why was that? I think I saw some images of him rescuing hostages in London, this is in the 80s in uh, like kind of way back and I remember seeing the photos of it I'm like wow who are they and my mate told me he goes oh these SAS guys they they rescue hostages and do all this cool stuff and I thought wow that's what I want to do and little boys love guns don't they they love (laughs) guns or at least my son seems to have every nerf gun on the planet it's it's weird the way you know Harry picks up big sticks and walks around with them so you know I think it yeah I think it's a gender thing yeah you can't you can't avoid it Mm. um what we want as kids though often changes as we grow older particularly when we learn what it actually takes to attain the dream and I'm not saying because it's hard or it just may not fit with who Mm. you are becoming as a person did you ever think about a different career I actually did. I was kind of studying um, towards doing biotech, biotechnology in um, uni because I'd read Jurassic Park in 1993 and I'm like, <laughs> you know what, I want to make dinosaurs and started started studying for biotechnology. But um, I got to the Defence Academy. I applied for both UWA and, and the Defence Academy and, and decided on defence. Right. And what did your parents think of this dream when you were young? Oh, they were a bit worried. They're like, oh, you know, um, you know, army soldiers, they kind of do rough jobs. And I'm like, yeah. And they go, have you thought about the Navy or the Air Force? I said, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Um, and I always kind of had that goal in mind of, of heading to the SAS. Uh, so as a mother, the thing I would think is they also, if there is uh, conflict, are sent mm. into conflict. Was that mm. something that they ever mentioned to you? I don't think so. But now, it's not till now I'm a parent, I kind of realise how much probably how, how much stress I would have put them under <laughs> choosing that career. And of course, you're oblivious at that age, but yeah. What does it take to make it into the SAS? I mean, can you give us some examples of the kind of um, test that you have to go through? Yeah, the big hurdle is the selection course it's like a three week long course where they don't really give you any food or sleep and (laughs) you run around the clock and they make it do um, tasks that are pretty much impossible when you look at them and and they expect you to to just try and problem solve and and keep working towards that goal and it's just incredibly stressful because you have all those stresses on you already Um, I lost nearly close to a kilogram a day for (gasps) For, oh, just under a kilo a day for three weeks. I lost 16 kilos. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm, so it's it's super high stress, and um, I think the main thing is to hold your nerve and just keep go- keep that goal in mind, that end goal, and, and just keep executing. And how much is um, mateship and the people you're going through this test, how important is that? Because I imagine when you're part of such an elite team, it, it's a team and they have mm. to work well as a team. Is that part of it even in that process? Or Yeah, it's a big part of it. And actually you're even assessed by your peers as well. They get 
you, you fill out assessment forms on each of your peers and say who you, you would want to take with you if you join the unit. And so I don't even watch Survivor, but it sounds like it's very similar. Like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it, it, the teamwork part and I guess um, sub- subordinating your own goals to the mission and, and the team is more important than, than you. So I think having that mindset was important. And is there a philosophy behind it? You mentioned as a child that you saw this elite team rescuing hostages, etc. When you're going through the application, is there a higher goal in mind apart from wanting to be part of what is obviously a really well-trained special force? Um, and I'm just wondering how much uh, is in your mind about what will happen once you get into that um, mm. team? I didn't really think so much about what was going to happen when I got in. I just knew that if, if I did get in, I would be in the kind of hot seat to go and do all the the toughest jobs the government gives the military. They they give the SAS a lot of work because it's small, it's highly trained, it's it's got a higher chance of uh, being successful in the mission. So the government has always favoured using those forces and I think in Afghanistan they used us probably too much. Yeah. yeah. Given that you're sent to those real hotspots, the places and given the hardest jobs, is there time to process what you're doing? Like you've got a mission, you have to achieve it, but you're also putting yourself and your friends at the same time, you're all going into really highly dangerous uh, places. Is there time to process that or is is it just like, this is a job, I've got to go do it and then you Um, come home? I don't think there is time to process it because you get told you're going and often it's a pretty quick turnaround. So for me, it was the, the going over wasn't the hard bit. It was dealing with everything that happened over there and trying to process that after a trip. So you might, you know, there might be something bad happen or some tragedy on, on a trip. And you might, I, I just don't think we had time to reflect and rebuild on it. We were kind of straight back into it. And there's that expectation that you can do that if you're a soldier. But after years of it, it does have a, a big impact. See, as a civilian and not being involved with anything remotely, um, associated with the military, it seems astounding to me that we put any soldier in any situation, let alone an elite um, force dealing with that sort of thing, without psychological support. Like, is part of your training about dealing with that trauma? I mean, why would soldiers be any better at processing trauma, mental mm. trauma, than the average civilian? Yeah, it's gotten a lot better. Um, they, they send psychologists into the field as well, in, into theatre, um, to help if there's a critical incident or something. So that's good. But I think at the the problem is at the back end when people leave the military or they're going to transition, that's kind of the part where the pressure of the unit kind of holds people together. And once that's gone, you can kind of, you can come apart a bit. And I think they've gotten a lot better at it, but it's still a topic that's not fully destigmatized and they're still working to kind of improve how they treat it. Do you think it's possible to be involved in military campaigns and not have PTSD in terms of like when we look at soldiers and and, and those that suffer from PTSD, I would have thought it's more normal for someone to have PTSD than not after going into those situations. Yeah, it's. I think the stats are something like um, 20 or 30% and that's reported, so it's probably a little bit higher, but um, it's a natural, it's a response that your brain has to trauma or near-death experiences, so... It is a normal reaction. It's just you need to be able to um, process it so it doesn't affect the rest of your job or the rest of your life. So I feel like it is 
it is more common than is reported. Um, and that's part of kind of when I do keynote presentations, that's kind of what I talk about now. And I think when people hear it from a soldier, it kind of gives them permission to say, oh, actually this affects all sorts of people, not just, yeah, not just me. Mm. So you're mentioning that once you leave the armed forces, that um, pressure cooker or whatever, the, the unit that you're mm. in where you're supporting each other, that goes and then you're kind of there working out life on the yep. other side. <laughs> yep. Um, is there anything you think that the public misunderstands about what it means to be part of the SAS? I think there's, I think the army did a bad job of explaining what was happening during that war. So <clears throat> most Australians didn't know what was happening. They didn't know the extent of the the fighting over there. And I think if they did, they would be shocked. And that's kind of why I wrote the book as well, is I think this perspective is important. I don't think you were told the whole truth about what was happening over there because it's confronting. Who wants to, who wants to be shown what our soldiers are doing overseas? It, it's a lot to take in. So I feel like that part of the narrative was missing and it means that when soldiers come home, sometimes the society they're joining doesn't understand where they've been or what they've been doing. Mm. And in particular, I guess, when things come up about um, the abuse of civilians and mm. what we've we've been finding out now, yep. um, is that part of the problem that we didn't understand what our troops were being put through? Oh, it's 100% um, part of the problem because... I think the the fighting was bad even back in kind of 2007 we stayed on for about another 5 years. So Australia's involvement in World War 2 was that long. This was kind of double that period. And I think if people really knew the extent of it um and that special forces were shouldering probably 80% of the combat load, I don't think people would have uh, accepted it knowing the outcome was going to be hard to achieve. Mm, and the impact it would have on mm. those that were part yeah. of the yeah. unit. It is such an extreme career. What did you do when you left? I went back to training like officer cadets in Canberra at Duntroon. And then when I was there, I thought, you know, I think I'm going to try and switch careers. And I applied to go to business school in the US. And it took about a year for me to kind of do the exams and get ready to go and apply. And I successfully got into one that was a really good one in Philadelphia. And I was like, that's enough. I've, I can... Um, jump into this it's two years full-time and I can use that to transition my careers how'd that go oh it was great yeah it was, <laughs> it was great it was it, it's always tough to switch country switch job you know it's a big change but um I think it saved me in a lot of ways because it gave me space away from the military and away from everything I've been doing and a bit of time to reflect on on the whole kind of career I guess and also it's a huge difference so you you might have been sort of just a little step outside, you're still in a familiar environment in Australia. Yeah. If you go to America, everything's new. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was such good fun because... They like, must have loved you. Uh, yeah, well, it, you know, you're an Aussie, you've got a funny accent. And there, there weren't many Aussies there. So um, I think it was, it was such a welcoming environment. And, uh, you know, I'm still friends with all of them. My class was a thousand people um, and I'm friends with a lot of them. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... You did move after that. I'm sure your parents were ecstatic that you were away for so long and then <laughs> exactly. you moved countries. Um, but aside from, from the physical movement, did, did your experience in the SAS have an impact on the relationships with your friends and family that you had prior to joining the SAS? Um, I think so. Just because I kind of disappeared for a long time. We were, we were that busy. We were always away. Uh, so I didn't 
see my parents or my family for long stretches. And then when I came home, sometimes I'd just withdraw and not want to see anyone anyway. And I think it's hard for a parent, I think, to see that. And I was, I guess, a bit selfish about it. You don't fully understand that your your family just wants the best for you. And um, yeah, I think they knew it was a hard time for me. And yeah, they were good about it. But also something that's so alien, like how can you... Mm. Some, when your child goes off to school, sometimes mm. you're like, oh, this is this is so, or daycare, this is so different. They're not with me all the yeah, time. Yeah. Imagine in a war setting, you'd be, oh, yeah. and you wouldn't have been out of, how do you find the language to talk about those experiences with people who, A, really care about what you've been through, mm. but B, really don't know what's, mm. what it's like. Yeah. It's, it's kind of tough. Like, and, and there's parts that you, you don't want to talk about because it's just something you'd rather forget. So. I think over time, I've kind of put enough ground between me and all those experiences to now be able to talk about it a bit more. And so and I think that's a healthy thing. Mm. Now, you went on the reality show Survivor, yeah. where you met your now wife, Sam. Was that the only place you were going to meet the love of your life in an extreme <laughs> and challenging environment? Um, I wasn't expecting it, for sure. But, um, you know, I had this kind of crazy idea to try it for this for this show, and I'm glad I did because it was such a fun experience. I was I was worried about it, but I had nothing to worry about. It was it was fun, and then when I was there, I met this you know young kind of pocket rocket Samantha <laughs> that was all full of energy and um, a hard charger, and I, we became really close. And I think it's that decision to go on that show really changed the course of my life. So. Um... Again, I have to apologize because I, can't, I cannot watch reality TV. I just, <laughs> I can't even watch Q&A on the ABC. I just, I have this cringe reaction where I feel for everyone who's going through bad times. Um, but you were um, booted off quite early. And I understand from what I read, it was because of maybe the teamwork that you and Sam had, were demonstrating. Um, and then she was booted off, but it sounds like, Quite soon after that, you guys had this incredible romantic, like, getaways and experience. Yeah, yeah. Was it sort of, I, I imagine that Survivor is one reality. Was that another kind of reality when you met after the show? Uh, it, it was like the the Survivor experience was pretty unusual in that you're on a tropical island for three weeks. and It was actually quite rough. Like, <clears throat> you're sleeping in nature and it's cold. And so that was a, a good first date. You know, you kind, of, you kind of know the other person pretty well by the end of that. Um, Don't worry about going to the toilet yeah, in front of each other. Exactly. Um, and then so when we left, I, I had to go back to the US to pack up. And, and it was it was great to have her there and to talk about the whole experience. And yeah. yeah. So she joined you in the States and then yeah. you did, sounded like a beautiful trip around yeah, the we went, country. Yeah, we went through, I think, drove all the way through California and spent a bit of time on the East Coast too. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So um, Sam um, fell pregnant yep. after you, and I say officially became a couple. I don't know, were you a couple on Survivor? <laughs> no, no, after, yeah, after. pretty much, yeah. So what went through your mind when she told you? Because she was on the phone, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she was on the phone and she told me. And I could tell something was up with her. She was, she was um, you know, behaving unusually. I was like, and she said, you know, oh, I'm pregnant. I was like, oh my God, really? <laughs> and this, <laughs> is, like, this is not long. Oh after. yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that long. It was, uh, yeah, so it was, it was, uh, you know, it was a pleasant surprise and, you know, we, we took the time to talk about it and eventually I was like, well, that's it. I'm, I'm leaving America and I'm coming home. We're going to start a, a life together. When you say you had a chat about it, um, on this program, we often talk about 
um, when you've been in a relationship for a long time with someone and you yeah. decide to have children, that it's a good idea to talk about your parenting styles, yep. which I've always thought is hilarious because uh, you don't really know no. that until you have a child. Mm. Um, what were the kind of things you talked about when you realized, hey, this is what's happening? I um, think I think the big thing was like, how, how are we going to... How are we going to make this work? Like, clearly, I had to come back from the US, and then I was like, "What am we going to do for work?" Because I'd only been in, at, you know, in the private sector for about three years, and I was like, "What am I going to do for a job?" Like, I was just trying to think about how to make it work properly in Australia. And um, Sam got me started on, you know, uh, corporate corporate speaking, keynote speaking, and eventually I was like, "Oh, I could actually, I could actually make a career out of it." And so I started down that path with her encouragement and it's been I've been doing that for a few years now so that's been a, a really good thing and it means I can spend quite a bit more time with the family so you know I fly in and out of places for, for speaking but I spend a lot of time at home with the family and that's something Sam was because Sam's a um, cross country runner yeah yep and she was doing similar things so she was speaking mm. and that's why she encouraged you to do it yep um, I was reading in your book something about how um, you'll go for runs together and, and due to the your experience in Afghanistan, you're kind of looking out for stuff. Yeah. And, and there was something you said that Sam turned you and went, come on, this is meant to be fun. And in my head, I'm going, what kind of runs are they doing that they're fun? So are you going to just be that extreme sport family where... Oh, I think like Sam's idea of a fun day is that, you know, 15K run. I'm like trailing within the first K or, you know, I, I struggle with the running. But um, we've done, you know, we did that world's toughest race together. So Sam did that which was going to be a show but it was a long kind of 10 day endurance race mm. um, and I thought that looked fun so we trained and did that together but um, my career in that type of adventure racing is going to be pretty short I think so <laughs> I'll leave that to Sam. <laughs> <laughs> so you've transitioned from army to civilian life and then from being childless for want of a better mm. word to being a father I know that they're very different transitions but they're both quite extreme were there any similarities in the challenges that you faced adjusting to that new reality um I don't think so I think it was in some ways it was easy because a whole lot of things that you used to do just go away and you realize that I think when you're a parent you're like oh those things I used to do that I thought were important actually weren't and now I'm concentrating a bit more on something that, um, you know, brings me a lot more joy, which is the family. So I think I looked back and was like, well, I used to run pretty hard when I was on my own. And that was a good thing because I had the space to do it. But now I'm a parent, it's good to kind of stop and spend time with people you love and, and you realize that's a, a good thing in life. And you often don't have a choice no, with yeah. a three-year-old <laughs> you don't have a choice. You running around. <laughs> There's a lot of talk. Um, about how modern fatherhood has changed since even we were growing mm. up. Um, what kind of dad are you? I'm, um, I'm, I'm there with Harry a lot. I think I'll, I really love taking him to do fun things as much as I can. I, I try and make sure I show him as much love as I can. I'm affectionate. I hold him a lot because I feel like that is a, if you don't do enough of that, it can be a driver later in life for, for other issues. So I always try and tell him he's loved and, and treat him that way and um, really try and give him that kind of, that that growth that you need when you're a kid, those new experiences and fun and looking at animals and playing in the park. Like all those things I try and do as, as much as I can with him. If Harry came to you when he's leaving school and said, Dad, I want to join the SAS, 
What would you say to him? I'd say start training. (laughs) (laughs) Here, watch Survivor. This will give you a sense. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, oh, I'd selfishly hope he was in the 80% of people that don't pass when (laughs) when you're coming through. But, you know, I think my my advice to him would be if you're going to do soldering, like try and do it at the best level you can. And you you should try and go for the SAS if if you feel like it's right for you and it's... It's such a good career. It's it's so good. And for me, there were some you know some bad experiences in Afghanistan, but overall, the whole thing was was a total net positive. Well, Mark, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thanks so much for having me. That's Mark Wales. He's the author of Survivor: Life in the SAS. The book's available now, so check out the links in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.